Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Do you truly love others? Loving other believers as you do your family? The scripture speaks about how two people from different backgrounds, different cultures that maybe even once spoke different languages, but now they can become one through the gospel message, being made into a new creation. The Bible speaks how God is building up a temple, not a temple made of, of physical things, but rather a temple of people who he is fitting together that we might come together as one manifestation of the people of God in this world, setting aside those things that, that the world uses to divide, to separate, to speak about differences, that we can be one people in truth through that anointing and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Paul and those who are with him, they, they show and declare their love for other believers. So with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to 1 Thessalonians and chapter 3. The book of 1 Thessalonians and chapter 3. Now, Paul here demonstrates in word and desire his strong love for other believers. Paul being a Jew, and these, for the most part, being Gentiles. But that does not hinder or impede Paul's love, his ability to take that Torah truth, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to demonstrate that through his faith in Messiah. Verse 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, where he says, Therefore, no longer, and this next word, which is going to appear twice, in our passage this evening. It's a word of, of not being able to bear something. It has that negative uh, uh, word, which means not being able to. It speaks about bearing, but in this case, being in a situation where you, you can't continue in the same way. Now, what Paul is going to talk about, not once but twice, is that he desperately wants to know What's going on with those in Thessaloniki? What is their physical? But more importantly, where are they spiritually? Where are they in the faith? And he's going to find out. And how is he going to find out? Well, look again at verse 1. He says, therefore, no longer being able to bear. We thought it was good to, to be left in Athens and then we have a word, alone, but it means alone in the plural. Now, in English and in some of the languages, you can't do that. Alone just stands by itself, alone. 
but here in Greek, and you can do this in Hebrew as well, you can make it a plural alone. And what's the significance of this? Well, Paul is not utterly by himself. He's not alone, separated, but there's other believers, other leaders that are with him in Athens. And what did they decide to do? Look now to verse 2. And we sent Timothy. Now, if you're not looking at a, a version of the Bible that's based upon the Texas Receptus, there's going to be one small phrase that is omitted. Look again at verse, verse 2. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and the, the Texas Receptus has, and servant of God and our fellow worker in the gospel of Messiah. So we see here in this first part of verse 2 that there was a decision made by Paul and those who were with him in Athens because he couldn't bear it any longer. He wanted to know how this congregation was doing. So they sent, they decided to send Timothy, young Timothy, but a, a faithful fellow servant in the gospel of Messiah. And what did they send him to, to Thessaloniki for? It says here, to strengthen. Now that word can mean also establish. Within it is the Greek word rizo, where we get the English word root. So it means to be strengthened or rooted, or we could say establish. So again, they wanted to make sure that this congregation was walking faithfully, and they sent Timothy to help them in this manner in order to strengthen you, Paul says, and to encourage you concerning your faith. Now, it's just not what they believe, but I'm quite sure that Paul is, is wanting them to put their faith into action, to demonstrate their faith, that their faith might be a deciding factor in how they live and how they manifest submissiveness before God. By believing in Messiah, let me share with you always, faith in Messiah will lead one to submit to the Word of God, not out of compulsion, but out of joy, with the desire to bless others and glorify God. The, the heart of the matter is not going to be what blessing am I going to get from this? How God is going to reward me? That's not going to be at the forefront of our thought. We're so pleased for thanksgiving or for being thankful. We're supposed to be for the kingdom. That we're not looking for earthly rewards. But we're focused upon being a blessing to others. Demonstrating our thanksgiving for salvation. Our thanksgiving for being saved from the wrath of God and being in an eternal covenant with the living God. So he wanted to strengthen, to establish this congregation and encourage them concerning their faith. Look now to verse, verse 3. He says that no one... Now, this is written in a dative, which means for the sake of towards this objective. So we could say towards the objective that no one would be moved 
and we're going to get into a very significant uh, uh, part of the scripture that reveals to us something that we need to know, and that's this. It is wonderful for, for believers, and I know many, who are very concerned for the physical, also the spiritual, but the physical well-being of Jewish individuals. In fact, some are planning to assist them because they know about Jacob's trouble. But here's what I would say. Jacob's trouble, what we read about in Jeremiah chapter 30, and the passage is verse 7, comes after the rapture. So what we need to realize is this, that there's going to come before Jacob's trouble an intense time of persecution of believers. It is already begun and is going to get worse. In fact, hear this, it is going to get much, much worse for believers. Not just in Islamic countries, not just in communist countries, but in the democracy throughout the world. Things are going to get worse for believers. Persecution, intense persecution is coming. Now, I share that because look at what Paul says in verse 3. He says, towards, that is, with the objective for the purpose that no one should be moved by the tribulations, these tribulations. And he uses just that word, thalipsis. Now, tribulation is a very uh, heavy word theologically especially when dealing with the end times. And therefore, because of that, and because people want to say, well, the rapture is before the tribulation period, before those last seven years, they try not to, to deal with passages such as this, and instead of using that same word, thalipsis, which means tribulation, they change it to, to different, uh, different adjectives, different words to conceal that. But it literally is the same word by the, these tribulations. For you yourselves know that for this, for what? For tribulation, for suffering, for persecution. And notice how this verse ends. It says, you, the word means to, to position or literally the best way to understand this word is to lay something in a location. Now, some, and I don't disagree with this, but some will say destined, meaning this. God has destined, meaning he has purpose, he has planned, this is part of what God says must happen. And that is that we are placed in, and it's in the plural, in tribulations. We are going to go through, and sometimes tribulation, or the word in general, a word in the plural speaks about abundant or, or massive in large number and quality, quantity. And that's what he's saying here. You need to realize that, that believers are destined to tribulation, intense and abundant tribulation. That's what we've been set for. We've been positioned for that. Now verse 4. For also when with you, we were. So Paul says, he's writing to the Thessalonians, and he says, uh, basically, you remember that when we were with you, that he did something, that we spoke previously, we told you before, 
that, and it uses a word about in the future, and in the future that there was going to be tribulation, that there was a future coming, and he puts it in the first person plural, we. So there is a future for us that speaks about coming tribulation. Now, Paul, led by the Spirit, much closer than any of us to, to the mind of God, one who received so much inspiration, wrote so much of the new covenant. But, but Paul, he was sensitive to the things of God, and, and he thought perhaps this fulfillment of everything might happen in his lifetime. Everyone, and I want to say that again, everyone should, should live with the thought, we might see the end. We need to be ready for that, prepared for that. And that's why Paul was teaching the Thessalonians about this coming time of tribulation that would be for, for us, meaning for believers. Now look, if you would, at the end of verse 4 where it says, Just as also has happened unto us. Meaning this, you know. You know what has happened also to us. They were suffering. They were going through persecution. So he says, we told you it's going to get bad. We told you that we're going to suffer, that we're going to have great opposition. And you have heard about this. It's been confirmed. You know this to be true. And we should know that it's true for the last days. Look now to verse 5. On account of this, also I, no longer being able to contain or bear that same word the second time it appears, appears the first time in verse, verse 1, now in verse 5. And he says, on account of this, he says, we're suffering, we're being persecuted, there's great opposition against us. And this is called for all believers. So Paul says, I couldn't take it anymore. I wanted to know how this congregation was doing, what their spiritual condition was, how they were living out and demonstrating their faith. So he says, on account of this, also I no longer could bear. So what did he do? He's commenting about what he did in verse 1. He says, I sent for to know, that's literally what it says, for the purpose of knowing, he says, your faith. Now, they had testified. They, they had made a proclamation. They were a congregation of believers. So what's Paul saying? I want to know your faith. He wants to go and hear a report about their belief, have it written down what they believe. No. What he was talking about is your faith and what we could understand it better as in practice. How was their faith holding up? In, in action, indeed, in light of this, this growing opposition to the, the gospel message. That's what Paul was wanting to know. And he goes on to say, less the one who tempts or tries. Now, this is one speaking about the enemy who wants to tempt us and, and try to get us to do that which is not right. Another way that we can think of that is by seducing. It's tempting with evil. So he says, lest the tempter, having tempt you, 
And if this was a case that they were falling, falling victim to that, he says, and for vanity our labor should be. He says, you know, I wanted to hear not that you're suffering and, and, and succumbing to temptation, being tried and failing by the en enemy. He says, I didn't want that. This is what not we were about. Our faith, we don't want our labor in this congregation to be in vain. That, that you allowed hardships and trials and temptation to turn you away. That's what his concern was. And he wanted to know how they were doing. And in light of that, what does he do? Look now to verse 6. It's just a confirmation of what we already know. That was mentioned in verse 2 when he says, But now Timothy. Now Timothy was sent to them. But Timothy, when Paul wrote this, he had already came back with a report. Paul knew and others who were with him in Athens, they knew how this congregation was doing. So he says, but now, uh, Timothy coming to us from you. And he had, and this is a word, same word for, for gospel, for evangelism. What is that? Speaking good news. Now, usually, when we speak about good news, we're talking about the good news, meaning the gospel. But here is just good news concerning this congregation, that Timothy shared good news with us about your faith and love. Now, I, I highlighted that in my Bible for a reason, because it teaches us something. It teaches us how faith expresses itself with a Torah manifestation. Now, I realize that people hear that and they go, why did you bring the Torah into this? Well, what's the word? Faith and love. And what you need to understand is this. The manifestation of Torah obedience, and let me pause for a moment. It is impossible today without a temple and other factors to, to keep the Torah. But that's not the issue. The issue is this, we walk in the spirit to fulfill the righteousness of the law. Now, is that Torah obedience? No. What it is, is taking Torah truth, what the word of God tells us, instructs us, commands us, and implementing it in your life by means of the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the, the spirit of the law not the letter of the law, because that's an impossibility in, in the time uh, uh, allotment that we're in now without a temple and other factors. But the truth of the Torah and the message of the Torah, and what is the message of the Torah? We can answer that question with one word, and I hope you know it, love. The Torah is about loving, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as herself. That's what Yeshua taught about the Torah. Now, let me tell you what a foolish person does. A foolish person says, okay, so I'll just love my neighbor and all these commandments I'll just ignore. They're no longer relevant. I won't read them. I don't study them. That's not what it's about today. How wrong? Why? It's only when you deal with all of God's revelation, all of these Torah commandments, from the law of Moses, that we can get a vision, 
having a proper perspective for what truly is my obligation because a lot of people say oh i love my neighbor but they're not doing what the torah says in regard to how one loves what the requirements are don't be foolish and think i'll make that decision about what loving is no you can't you have to follow the instructions of god and the holy spirit will lead you i know this he will lead you in in taking a commandment and how to apply it to your life in order that you demonstrate the righteousness of god and and share that righteousness by being a blessing to others that will manifest god's glory in the book of philippians in chapter 4 paul speaks and he says whatever is good whatever is pure whatever is praiseworthy whatever is virtuous and here again what people do is they sit back and they go well what do i think is virtuous what do i think is good what do i think is pure do not do that you have to look at the word of god for what is good what is pure what is virtuous we always submit to scripture so it is a great exercise to look at these torah commandments and to struggle in prayer struggle with the spirit's leadership on how you exemplify demonstrate put that into practice that's what paul is telling us that's what faith does it manifests itself with a torah love verse verse six the second part also that you have a good remembrance of us always desiring desiring to see us now paul he loved this congregation he was concerned about this congregation he sent timothy to inquire how are they doing in their faith are they walking in love are they manifesting the faith of messiah by walking and expressing a torah obedient love that's what he's saying here and likewise he says i want you to know we want to see you and we hope that you have a good memory of us always that he says that you desire this is a strong word maybe yearn would be better that you yearn to see us just as also we you now one of the things we can take away from this is that there's unity there's consistency paul says you know what i really want to see this congregation and he's hoping that this congregation really wants to see him and the other apostles that they are hear this that they are like-minded and a like character that's what paul is saying here and he wants them to not only have the same mind the same character but that they manifest their faith by expressing a love a biblically based love now it's not by accident that that word for love is the greek word which speaks about a sacrificial love a love that denies oneself and we see here that messiah himself expressed that upon the cross and that's why we see that messiah said over and over and over and over and over according to the scriptures in order that the word the scriptures might be fulfilled so messiah he displayed the righteousness of god which was imputed to us 
now through faith that the the law of God is written upon our heart why why would it be written upon our heart in order that we might think according to it and demonstrate the righteousness of God by walking in love and doing the things again are we saved by what we do no we are not therefore the conclusion is what we do is not important to God that's a false statement that's heresy just look at the book of Revelation to those seven congregations in Asia Minor. He says over and over and over, I know your works, your deeds. And Messiah says, I'm coming again to render to every man according to his works. This is what the scripture says. It's not about being saved, but it's how saved people are called to demonstrate their faith. This is the teaching of the apostle Paul. So he writes here, look now if he could to, to verse 7. On account of this, we, we comfort. This is a word of encouragement, a word of comfort. He says, on account of this, brethren, we comfort concerning you. Now, he wants to comfort them, but he's also saying we are, are comforted concerning you or about you. In all affliction and this is the same word for tribulation thelipsis in all tribulation and and distress our distress on account of your faith now what he's saying is this we are encouraged in the midst of tribulation and distressful things affliction and tribulation in the midst of this we are comforted concerning you we could understand that in the practical sense from you. Why? Because of their faith. Paul says, you know, we're going through a lot, but it's all worthwhile. We're glad. Why? Because of the outcome. We are suffering for, for sharing this, this truth. We're being persecuted. It's going to get worse. But he says, it's okay. Because we see the fruit, the fruit of our labor. So he says, we're encouraged because of your faith that they're walking in love, they're doing what, what a believer is called to do. That's what he's saying in this passage. Now look at verse 8. Because now we live since you are, are standing in the Lord. Now I like this. Don't put a doubt. It does not make sense because we already know the report they received a good report from Timothy that he gave to to Paul and others so this congregation they had a good report they were doing well they were walking in faith expressing love and Paul says this comfort us and now we're, we're alive we, we are encouraged we are invigorated is what he's saying here we are alive since not if, but since you have stood or established, been established in the Lord. Verse 9. Now, again, it's not in question because we're going to see what's Paul going to do now. Having received this good report, he's going to praise God. He's going to give thanks to God for these people's faithfulness. He's encouraged because there's a fruit. His work among others, was not in vain. It was producing good results. Look at verse 9. He says, 
for what thanksgiving we are able to give to God concerning you. Now, that word what is speaking about a certain, a certain type of thanksgiving. And the implication is a great thanksgiving, one that is sincere, one that is abundant, one that's just bubbling up within them. They are that happy. So he says, what a thanksgiving we are able to give God concerning you upon all the joy which we rejoice on account of you. So Paul says, we're able to give thanks. We are, are rejoicing with a great joy. Why? He says, on account of you. And we're doing this before our God. Verse, verse 10. He says, continuing on, the same thing, the same thanksgiving, the same joy that he has. He says, night and day, exceedingly. Now, this is a phrase, if we look at it, it's a word which means beyond and from abundance. So it's from abundance and even beyond. That's why we translate it exceedingly. He said, night and day, exceedingly desiring to see you, and he means here, to see you in the face. Why? In order to, to make perfect what is lacking, those things that are lacking of your faith. Paul says, you know what? I'm excited. I want to get back to that place in Thessaloniki. I want to see again this congregation face to face in order that what they, they lack in their faith. Now, they're doing good, but there's always room for a lot of improvement. And Paul says, this is a good place to invest. There's many places that he could go, but he wants to go to Thessaloniki because this congregation, his time, his effort, his investment in them is paying great dividends. He's joyful about that. He's excited about that. He, he's not wanting to stay any longer, staying any longer in, in Athens. He wants to get to Thessaloniki. Now let's look at verse 11. But, now he's going to talk in a, a different direction, bring up some other points, he says here. But the same God, and our Father, and our Lord, Messiah Yeshua. What is he going to do? Well, he wants to get back, and he says, I'm taking this to prayer. Because our God, and Father, the Lord, Messiah Yeshua, I'm, I'm praying for what? For him to make straight our way unto you. So now, he's saying, I want to get there. And God, in the name of God our Father, and his Son, our Lord, Messiah Yeshua, I'm praying for him to make straight, another way you could translate that, direct, make straight or set in order. All these are proper for understanding this. Make straight, set in order, direct our way unto you. Now verse 12. And the Lord says here, He will do something. He will give increase 
and abundance to your love for one another and for all. He's confident. He says, I want to come to you. I want to minister, to teach you more, to bring you deeper into the understanding of the truths of God. And where is that going to manifest itself? In a greater Torah observance. Not according to the letter of the law, but the spirit of law, that they might walk in righteousness. Now, why do I say that? Because he quotes a foundational Torah commandment, and that is love one another. Love one another, meaning those within the congregation. And then he says, and love all. In other words, their faith is going to be strengthened. And the outcome of that is that love is going to be manifested. And that's the primary characteristic of the Torah, according to the teachings of Messiah. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. This is what Paul is speaking about, loving our neighbor. And we do that because we love God first. Now we come to the last verse, verse verse 13, but let me simply conclude verse 12 where he says, just as also we, you, meaning we have that love for you. We're expressing that, that same manifestation of God's will now, verse 13. Now, verse 13, the context, and the why I said going back to, to verse 11, there's a change, is because here, he's no longer inquiring, he's no longer hearing, he's no longer giving thanks, he's no longer pronouncing what his objectives are, he's focusing now in one thing. He's focusing on victory. Now, when we look at this passage, there's a debate. What does it have to speak to? Because we need to know something. And this is going to be even more important when we get into chapter 4 and the second part of chapter 4. When we deal with our blessed hope, that rapture. So the question is this, at the end of verse 13, what are we talking about? Are we talking about the rapture? Or the second coming they are not hear this they are not the same event because if we look at some things and we're going to look at one thing that proves they are not the same thing when we're speaking about the rapture which happens before the wrath of God begins we know that we are going to be as Paul says in 2nd Thessalonians we are going to be gathered unto him where? In the heaven. Not for him coming immediately. He's not gathering us up to bring us back immediately. That's not what's happening. He's gathering us up so that we can be with him in the heaven. When? Well, after us being gathered up, what is the next main event? The outpouring of God's wrath. We are not removed from the earth to be immediately placed back so that we can experience and be present for the wrath of God. We will not be in this world for the wrath of God. That's what we're going to learn, not in the fourth chapter, but the fifth chapter in verse 9 of this first epistle to the Thessalonians.
So here we're going to see, and I'll prove it to you, that we're speaking about the second coming. Why? Well, the blessed hope is wonderful. The blessed hope does indeed, I'm speaking about the rapture, does involve victory. It gives us new life and eternal life in a new body. And that body is a kingdom body which will be for eternity. But we need to know something. At the time of the rapture, the kingdom has not been established. It won't be until the second coming when Messiah will establish that kingdom, that first stage, and the capital will be Jerusalem. And all of that speaks of victory. There is an inherent relationship between kingdom and victory. The kingdom being established, it is a, a outgrowth of the victory. So notice what he says, one last verse, and we'll be done, where he says, For your strengthening, this is that same word that has root in it, for you to be established, for you to be placed in a position where you can thrive, where you can grow, where you can be strong. So he says, all of this, what Paul's about, is strengthening believers. In this context, the ones in Thessaloniki. He says, for your strengthening, and notice what he says, of the heart. A heart that is without blemish, without flaw, and in holiness. How? Before God and our Father. When? He says, in the coming of our Lord Messiah Yeshua. Now, if it ended there, we would be uncertain. But because it says, with all the saints, all of his saints. So when he's coming, he's saying, this is the time that that Messiah comes with all the saints. Now I realize that the term saints can be used for angels, but this is not the context. There has not been any mention of angels. It is ridiculous. Many people want to bring that in, but this is not what he's saying. Because he's saying everything's the subject is this group. He's using the Thessalonians in order to, should say the Thessalonians, in order to give a, an illustration what all believers are going to experience. And that is, and it's not a wish, it is a proclamation that we are going to have our hearts established. We're going to be strengthened by, by God. And our hearts are going to be, before God, we are going to be blameless and we're going to be found in holiness. And that is going to be manifested, that victory is going to be manifested. When? It's going to be manifested to this world at the second coming. When Messiah returns and we, the saints, are coming with him. He's coming for that last blow that defeats the enemy, all the enemy, in order to establish his kingdom. And I'm speaking about the millennial kingdom. So if you're a believer, you are going to take part in the second coming. That's why we never have to be concerned about being ready for the second coming. We need to be ready for the rapture. But the second coming... God is going to establish us. We're going to be in that new body. We're going to be in perfection.
and we're going to come with Messiah. And we're coming to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is still important to God. Don't believe the false teachers. The land, the city of Jerusalem, the land of Israel, all of that is of the paramount importance to God the Father in his last day plans to set up that kingdom, that kingdom from Jerusalem, that thousand-year reign that will end. Satan will be released. He will be defeated with those who are deceived by him. And then, only then, after fire comes down from heaven and purifies this place, we're going to see something. It's going to be transformed into a new reality, and that is the new Jerusalem. Paul a lot of wonderful encouragement, a lot of truth for us to understand what God expects from us. So let me close with this. Are you interested in fulfilling God's expectations for your life? That is what's going to manifest your faith in a public way. Do you want to be a humble servant of the living God? I'll close with that. Until next time, Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.